All right, would you please take your copy of the Word of God and let's turn to Ezra chapter 8 today. Ezra chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 26 uh, in just a minute. We'll read that, but we're going to uh, get to that as we go here. One of the commentators, uh, Old Testament commentators on the book of Ezra, is Dr. Nicolation, and he says this, and I want to quote him. It says, and he said, that one needn't look too far to see examples of how embezzlement, carelessness, and fraud have ruined the reputation of nonprofits and religious organizations. Financial misconduct in church not only discredits the perpetrator's ministry, it harms and degrades the reputation of the whole faith. This means great care should be taken in financial controls, accountability procedures, and boundaries our organization observes to ensure that gifts consecrated to God are handled with the highest standard of ethics possible. Now that's the end of his quote. He goes on to say here, or I go on to say, I should say, uh, there are pastors uh, today who live like rock stars. Creflo Dollar, the man that we just saw on the screen a while ago, asked his church uh, to replace their old jet, which, by the way, uh, had some uh, mechanical failures on one of its uh, takeoffs, and that's what you saw there, uh, the crumpled fuselage and the broken front landing gear. And he wants to have uh, the Gulfstream G650, and it's really hard to tell, but on his, on his website, especially it's not there, but other places, it sounds like he eventually got that. He finally said, if all my followers will just give $300 towards this, I can buy the new plane so the ministry of Jesus Christ can go out throughout the world. Now, I will say he does travel the world and, and do that, uh, but the plane is also not always used for things that are church things. And the issue is, do you need a 650 Gulfstream? That's, the, that's one of the issues. Uh, he, he personally is a multimillionaire, as are the following people that I'm going to mention who have made uh, millions of dollars off of God's people. Peter Popoff, Kenneth Copeland, Jim Baker, Jimmy Swigert, and Paula White are all multi-million dollar millionaires uh, because of their work in the ministry. A place called AG Financial reported some of these things. A church treasurer who embezzled $850,000 by distributing funds to himself through a credit line. He had access to four officers' digital signatures. His crime led to eight years in prison and the requirement that he pay back all the money that he stole. A 55-year-old female church bookkeeper embezzled a modest $3,000 but was sentenced to eight years in prison. A church usher used to collect offerings in the sanctuary balcony, and then on his way down the back steps of the church, he took all the loose bills out of the offering plate and pocketed them. Over a number of years, he stole several thousand dollars of people's giving. Another one, a church bookkeeper embezzled thousands by issuing checks to a fictitious company, and of all places that take in money, we would say because of these things, the church needs to be above board because these are the funds of Jesus Christ and we don't want to be guilty of stealing from Jesus. Now, I want you to know that uh, we, we're just looking at a smaller portion of this whole chapter. I think the chapter was written to show us 
uh, most of all, that you trust God for everything that's going on in your life. Remember that Ezra is about to leave with four or 5,000 people with millions of dollars worth of gold and silver and bronze and utensils and all kinds of things, make an eight to 900 mile trip uh, back to Israel to deliver these things to those who take care of those kinds of things at the temple. And he's trying to replenish what was taken by uh, the Babylonian kingdom and give it back. And that's what Artaxerxes has allowed him to do. And he wants to be above board with that. So I think we can learn not only are we to have faith in the impossible that God can do it, but we're also supposed to be learning that God expects us to be good stewards of finances. And since we are in a church, that's what we want to talk about uh, this morning because the church also needs to be very careful about finances. Now what I want to do is go ahead and read Ezra 8, uh, and I think I'm going to go 24 to 30, which is our first section. We'll do that first, okay? Here's what it says. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Cherubiah, Hashabiah, and with them 10 of their brothers. Now you can't tell this from the English text, but what happened, if you look up in in the beginning of uh, the first part of, of chapter 8, we know that Cherubiah is a Levite. He's not a priest. So what he's done is he said, I chose, I chose 12 priests, leading priests, and then he also ends up choosing 12 Levites, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and with them 10 of their brothers. That makes 24. And I weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the utensils, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel presented and had offered. Thus I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, and silver utensils worth a hundred talents, and a hundred gold talents, and twenty gold bowls worth a hundred darics, excuse me, and two utensils of fine shiny bronze, precious precious as gold. The shiny bronze they did hold to be as valuable as gold was in those days, and that's what he means by that. Verse 28. Then I said to them, "You are holy to the Lord." So he looks at these twenty-four men. And he says, I want you to know, I'm setting you apart for the Lord's service. You are holy to the Lord. You're set apart to the Lord. So make sure that what you do is for the Lord. So you are holy to the Lord, and the utensils are holy to the Lord. So we have two groups of holy things, the people handling uh, those funds and and the funds themselves. And so uh, we want to keep that in mind, that they are holy to the Lord. The silver and the gold are freewill offerings to Yahweh God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leading priests and Levites and the heads of fathers, households of Israel at Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of Yahweh. So the priests and the Levites accepted and weighed out the silver and gold and utensils to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of God. So there's going to be two weigh-ins. They're going to do one weigh-in before they leave for the country of, of Israel, Israel, Judah particularly, And then when they get there, they're going to weigh it all back and find out, is everything that they left with showing up here when they get to the temple in Jerusalem? There has to be an accounting on both ends, and it's very meticulous. So we learn in verses 24 through 30, Ezra appointed and consecrated 24 men to protect the free will offering that was being sent to the temple in Jerusalem. Protect the free will offering that is being sent to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the last time we saw Ezra take a stand with King Artaxerxes about not needing a military to escort them back to the land and uh, make sure they're safe while they are carrying these free will offerings 
and multi-millions of dollars worth of gifts in gold and silver and bronze and other things. He put everybody's faith on the line, Ezra did, when he told the king, no thanks to your military, we're going to trust God on this, and we're not going to go with the military. So uh, keep the military home, we're moving forward by faith, because God favors those who uh, love him. And he told the king the God of heaven would be favorably disposed to those who seek him. And as we're saying, we're people that are seeking God. You have to stop and ask yourself that question too, right? Are you seeking God in everything that you do? Am I seeking God in everything that I do? The implication was that the Jews he was returning with to Jerusalem were just such people. They sought God. It seemed apparent to Artaxerxes, as he listened to Ezra, that there was going to be no military escort provided at all. And Artaxerxes knows that. Now, Artaxerxes is also the guy that they've given money for this situation. And he's given away the utensils that were still there, and all that's going to go back. And now he's hearing the guy that's taken these millions of dollars into hostile territory across this vast wilderness of eight or 900 miles that he's not going to have an escort. He's going to be trusting on God. And that's sticking your neck out for God. In verse 24, to handle the gift in an above manner, above board manner, Ezra has appointed 12 priests of good reputation, along with 12 Levites who are also leading men in the group. In the exodus from Egypt now, we're going back a ways, it was the priest who handled the offerings or the gifts of the people and the Levites, when they would pick up and move from place to place in the wilderness, they transported the things of God during Israel's sojourn. You can read all about that in Numbers chapter 4. I don't think it's necessary for us to take time to do that this morning. Ezra was securing the right people, in other words, to handle the free will offering of Yahweh. So he went to the people that have had ancestors that did this kind of thing in the past, and now he's saying, we're going to do that right now, and I'm going to give it to the people who should have some inkling of how responsibility is being laid upon them and how they need to take care of that. Then Ezra, in verse 25, was personally involved in the accountability for the gifts of the king and, and what he gave to them, and his counselors and princes, and not, not returning, non-returning exiles, those who were going to stay in Babylon, have all given free will offerings. And Ezra is very much aware of that and the accountability that that demands and uh, the, the sacrifice that will take on their part to make sure it's right. They weighed and accounted for all the silver, the gold utensils, the gold bowls, the shiny brass that was being given, and all the other free will offering gifts, however they came. In verses 26 and 27, the total weight of the gifts that were given uh, to go to Jerusalem, and this is, uh, I should say, uh, intellectual speculation and from study that scholars have decided that this is the amount that would have been with them. They say they weighed out 24.375 tons of things that were going to have to go back to Israel. That's a bunch. That includes the three and three-quarter tons of silver and three and three-quarter tons of gold. And then the shiny bronze uh, in antiquity was held to be equal in value with gold. It includes those. We have no idea uh, what those weighed and then the other things that went with them. The point is this, Artaxerxes is about to let all this go on a very rough journey, almost 900 miles with a band of Jews uh, who might have some mighty men among them, but they are not a military force. They're not a military people at this point. And he knows there are enemies on the road. 
And people are going to know what's coming their way. And there could be danger, but he just lets them go. Now, just how much faith did Artaxerxes have in the character of Ezra, the man of God? It had to be unbelievable amounts of faith that he put in him. And this man carried his God well, and that elicited trust from other people. So note the careful accounting that Ezra did. Uh, we have mentioned the camp of Ahava was thought to be, by some scholars, 100 to 103 miles outside the city of Babylon, but we also know no one knows where it is. It could have been a lot closer. We just don't know. Uh, so that's conjecture. That's not biblical fact. We're just trying to put a handle on what's going on here. Uh, they're somewhere outside of Babylon. The reader is struck with the fact that Ezra wanted everything to be clear and to be above board. Nobody's going to get away with any of this gold or silver or the free will offerings or the utensils for the temple. It's all going to be accounted for. It's all going to make it there, and we're going to make a careful accounting of it. Ezra consecrated the gifts and the gift caretakers. So the material gifts and the people involved in handling, uh, if you will, this money. And they are, uh, they are given this because they're people of truth, and they were holy to the Lord. God set them aside for this individual work. They had been set aside for God to use in this area. Every one of us are to be consecrated and holy to the Lord. And in our life, we should be setting aside ourselves so that we can be used of the Lord, so that we can be dedicated to the Lord, and can I say, so that people can trust us with what they give us to do things with, like their offerings and their tithes and their money. Are we using it in the right way? Is it used for what it's intended to be used for? They were to pay special attention to the fact that these are gifts that were given to God, and they are to be treated like they're given to God. That's one of the reasons we take care of our building. Uh, the building is not the church, but it's a nice building. It's where we meet. We take care of it because we've dedicated to get dedicated the building to God. We turn down people who want to come and do things here that have nothing to do with, with church, nothing to do with uh, God's religion or his true religion. That's not what the building is for. The building is consecrated. It is holy to the Lord. So we take care of it. We only let things that uh, we hope are godly and that lead to people uh, being more, uh, well, being closer to God and more dedicated to him. And that's because this place should be holy to the Lord. And the people that meet here are holy to the Lord. And we set it aside so that we can do things for the Lord. And that's the same idea here. The gifts are holy because they belong to God. Friend, you are holy because you belong to God. You are to be set aside for his purposes, not, not your own purposes in life, but his. So holy men are to take care of these things of God. Church finances, to jump all the way back from Ezra to up to us, church finances are a ministry for those who handle them. You want your most dedicated people, the holy people, to take care of it, and they need to look at those books and the, and the computer and all that stuff where all of our finances are kept as holy to the Lord. They are to keep track of them meticulously and see to it that they are used for their intended purposes. There's an illustration of, uh, the, that a man named Pete wrote about, and he says this, Finding a volunteer to be church treasurer is always a challenge. But after reading the church's annual report, I was not surprised to hear that several of the members at the meeting expressed an interest in the position all because the outgoing treasurer had concluded her report with these words, and I quote, 
It has truly been my pleasure to work with the church finances. I have received far more than I ever gave. <laughs> now we know that she wasn't a crook there. She just probably didn't word that in the right way, but it did help the uh, uh, people find somebody to take their place. Maybe some of them not uh, qualified for that, with that kind of an attitude. See, the point is, the greedy are not welcome in the financial ministry of the church. The dishonest are not welcome in a financial ministry of the church. Now let's uh, go on, because in verse 30, the priests and Levites accept that responsibility, and it was a huge one, and there could be danger. All right, so let's look at uh, now chapter 8, uh, verse 31 and go on down through um, verse 34. Then we journeyed from the river Ahava on the 12th of the first month to go to Jerusalem. Now here's the key to this particular issue. And the hand of our God was over us. Now we've read that before, haven't we? Like back in verse 18. And the hand of our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. You would think if you were going to take an eight or 900-mile trip carrying tons and tons of precious cargo, not to mention, uh, you know, the people and the children and all that stuff, uh, it, you would think that there would be more than one verse dedicated to a journey like that, but there isn't. So what Ezra wants you to know, there was only one thing important about the trip. We made it, and God could, could I'm not only could, but God did take care of us. We made it, and God took care of us. Now, notice carefully what it says. He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from the ambushes by the way. It was not a trip without problems. Uh, there were people who wanted to take it, and there were ambushes, but God delivered them out. Okay, so he says there's no need to talk any further about that. Verse 32, thus we came to Jerusalem, and we remained there, th we remained there three days. On the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the utensils were weighed out in the house of our God into the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, Uriah, the priest, and with him Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, which would be, we would say, uh, Joshua today, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. Everything was numbered and weighed, and all the weight was recorded at that time. So we're getting a glimpse into just how important their finances are and what they're doing with them. So we learn in verses 31 to 34, the free will offering made it to Jerusalem where it was accounted for the for to the last ounce. They brought it, it was accounted for when they left, and now to the very last ounce they're going to account for it as they have arrived. I just realized uh, somebody put a new battery in my clock back there and it's not working and it says it's almost four o'clock so thanks for hanging in there with me huh <laughs> all right we'll be done probably in time for dinner here we go supper I should say in verse 31 they left for Jerusalem and nothing of note is detailed about the trip uh, this is the point the trip was unremarkable uh, sometimes when you go to the doctor and they write on your report you know, your leg was unremarkable. They don't mean you don't have a good-looking leg. They just mean there's nothing bad there that they can make a remark on. So don't take offense of that. Uh, an unremarkable trip is there's nothing that happened that was bad that we really need to tell you about. So the trip was unremarkable because of one reason only. 
that is their faith as they recorded it in verse 22 was re- was also reported to be rewarded by God in this verse we trusted in God and we did it and wow God made it happen for us and we didn't even have an army with us God took care of everything God's hand was on them to deliver them from the enemy and ambushes along the way. Now, the word in Hebrew for deliver in this verse may itself indicate by its usage that they were attacked in some way or another on the journey because that word always speaks of the aftermath of conflict. So I don't think they didn't have any conflict, but whatever happened, God's hand was with them. See, just because God's hand is with you in a ministry or in your life or what you're doing every day, just because his hand is with you doesn't mean there won't be some opposition. What it does mean is you're not going to ultimately end up falling and not be successful for God because he is with you. Even when facing danger, God's hand is still the difference in making our efforts for him successful. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. No one. Now, I have known small churches where the treasurer has been waiting to pay bills, and the due date is coming. And this particular person did not know where the money was coming from because the church didn't have it. And what it did was it really enhanced his prayer life uh, by himself, getting on his knees and saying, Lord, you know we have this bill coming due, and I don't have the money to pay it, and the church is going to get a bad reputation, and so, Lord, I need, I need the money. And he told me that time after time, just exactly when it was the time to get it done and it needed to be done, somebody would show up at his place and say, hey, uh, I forgot to give this last Sunday or I have a little extra I want to give to you. And he said it always, in every case, took care of the debt that he had there for that month. Now, you may not be the kind of person that's cut out to live like that month by month. But I know he did it many years, and God always took care of him, and he did that because of faith. And if you will, I think that's a miraculous supplying uh, of the funds at a critical time. You know, a a treasurer can really grow when you're in a church that has uh, not been blessed with uh, financial uh, situations where you're not in trouble. Well, they came to Jerusalem, and like in the Exodus, uh, they rested for three days, And then verse 33 to 34, the time came when, according to the transfer of gifts, uh, they had to be careful about how they did that. They brought all the gifts. They rested three days. They got to get it sorted out and get it into the temple. And on the fourth day, they began the process. Imagine if if scholars are right, and this is about 24 tons of material. This could take a while. Silver, gold, utensils, uh, the special bronze. And the house of God had other things that they brought along with it. Reputable priests helped with the accounting. And everything was numbered, weighed, and recorded. Today we have companies that go around and certify various things for the public. Next time you're at a gas station, just look at the pump, and there's going to be a sticker on there. And it's going to say that this pump was certified as accurate, and so that when I put in a gallon of gas, I really get a gallon of gas. It's going to have the date it was checked. It's going to have who checked it and that you can be assured that you're not getting taken here. Uh, This this is really what it is. 
Every elevator knows that at certain times there's going to be a truck that comes by that has certified state weights on it, and they're going to check the weigh scale that farmers take their trucks over, and they're going to test it and weigh it. And what that weight says better be what comes up on the scale. Uh, well, they don't have those anymore. It's all electronic, but we used to have a, a, a needle on a, on a deal that told you how much it was, and they certify that. And they get a sticker of certification. This scale is giving you what it says it is. Then they take their weights and they leave, and those are very special weights. So I had to ask myself, if you weigh all this back near Babylon, even if it's 103 miles out, you had to have the standard measure for the kingdom that Artaxerxes has approved so that this, and I don't know what it would have been there, let's just say this is a kilo, and here this, this is going to be a kilo, and it's certified. Somehow that had to be in Jerusalem because they're making an accounting of that. This is how much left. And so there was a point, because people care, that somebody took uh, the king's certified values of weight and measure, and they've ended up in, in his kingdom, and even in Jerusalem, so that they could check what they brought in by what these king, kingly certified uh, measurements are. So there wasn't a truck there, but there were weights there. And there were ways to measure volumes of things. And they checked it all out. And they went through all that work. Can you imagine how much time that probably took? And in Babylonian tradition, as per the ancient law code of a man named Habarabi, almost every transaction, including sales and marriages, had to be recorded in writing. So Ezra, who is a scribe, probably submitted one back to the king and his counselors with a signed certificate of authenticity that what left you showed up here. And now it's in the hands of the priests and the Levites. Now let's uh, read the end of this uh, in, in chapter uh, 8, verses 35 and 36. It says, The exiles who had come from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, 12 male goats for a sin offering, and a burnt offering to the Lord, or Yahweh. Then they delivered the king's edicts to the king's satraps and the governors in the province beyond the river, and they supported the people in the house of God. We learned there that they delivered the king's edict to the provincial authorities, which resulted in gaining help from them. You're going to find out in Ezra and Nehemiah, the officials of the land are pretty much against Israel. They really don't want there to be uh, at all. They don't want there to be another worship center there and another people trying to be a nation. And so they fight them all the time. But there's times when they have to help. And Artaxerxes made it very clear, you better help them or there's going to be consequences. So verse 35, as with all the times when God acts on our behalf as the people of God, they respond in worship to God. Friends, I know what we are like as people and you know what we are like. Let me ask us all, do we spend the same amount of effort thanking God for what he does as we do in the time asking him to do what we want. Do you spend more time asking God for things and praying about the same thing over and over and over and uh, maybe things get taken care of? Do you spend the same amount of time thanking God for what he did? Thanking God uh, for the prayer update and for the miracle that he's done or the work that he's done. These people go out of their way. This is a worship service of praise and thanksgiving. They're being thankful to God, and it's a matter that elicits worship of God. When God works on our behalf, we must not, take, we must not forget to take the time we should to thank him. 
Now, not too long ago on, on Thanksgiving Eve, we talked about some men who were healed by Jesus. Nine of them ran away to show the priests so they could get free. One man, a Samaritan, a Gentile, comes back and bows and thanks Jesus. And Jesus wanted to know, where's everybody else? So I think we should not be one of those people that when God does something for us, we don't come back and thank him for what he did for us. We don't want to be like those other people were. Well, the exiles in the past have known opposition from the provincial authorities, but now God is again on their side. God has placed the authority of the human king behind his people and their efforts. Proverbs 20, I'm sorry, Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to Yahweh, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Ezra is enjoying some of that peace that God has given. As far as us, in terms of application for our church, the free church here in Smith Center, Kansas, at the end of last year, at the beginning of this year, it found our church board in the midst of updating all of our financial processes in the church. And it seemed like it went on and on and on and wasn't ever going to end. We invited outside help to look at our current processes and make recommendations, which he did, and which we took to heart. And we believe that God cares about how we handle his money. And it all started by, can we do things better? Should we do things better? Do we need to look at these processes? So we did. We want to handle God's money and God's gifts according to what God wants us to do. His money must be handled with transparency, honesty, and meticulous accounting. We owe that to the one who gave the gift and to the one to whom the gift is to go, which is God himself and his ministry. Handling the finances of the ministry for Jesus is a holy calling, and it must be done by spiritual people who love God. Uh, thank God we have some very honest people that have taken care of our, of our ministry uh, of finances uh, ever since I've been here. Now, we've changed a lot how we do things. We made a huge change uh, in 2020, and we maintain what we're doing now and uh, hope God is blessed by that. At the end of the day, God himself is our main auditor. God will look over what we have done as a church with finances how we handle them from the individual to the church group. We want it right for him and for all those who contribute to his ministry here through us. Now, if you have any ministry in the church, then you're using funds that people give. And so it's not just me that takes ministry money from the church. Some of you take it for your ministries of teaching, of Awana, of different issues that take place, the, you know, the financials for the grounds and stuff like that. It's all God's money. Everybody who handles it needs to be holy and trustworthy and accountable. And that's what we hope to do because we see in the scriptures that godly men of God, that's how they did it. And we want to do that too. So before we get into our communion, I just want to leave you these applications. It is a matter of faithfulness to God that every penny be accounted for in the ministry. It's a matter of accountability to God. Lots of times I find money laying around the church. A penny here, a dime there, a couple quarters there. And uh, I always take it and put it either in the offering plate or in the thing where you pay for your uh, 
if you come and do private copying in the copy room, a place to put it there, it's got to go back to the church. If I found something while I was mowing in the north, I'm sorry, <laughs> southwest corner of the lot, if I found money there, it's going to go back in the church and be put where it's supposed to go because somebody who loves Jesus brought it here and somebody lost it here. And I, I assume that, that means it belongs to God. Let's be faithful in handling his money. Number two, we should worship and thank God when he advances our ministry in the midst of our enemies who are trying to stop it. We may get more practice and time to do that in days to come. We'll see. Thirdly, how we handle money matters to God. And uh, Larry Burkett was right. Money matters. And it must matter to us as well. It should be something we take account of. And then finally, uh, this has been something we've had a problem with over the years and uh, trying to rectify, and I think we're doing better. Even you ordering something for the church or uh, taking the credit card and getting something for the church, even signing a receipt and turning it in when charging to the church is an important matter before Jesus because we want to be accountable for those things. And that's one of the things where we've fallen down. People sign in receipts. We don't know what it's for. We don't know who did it. And so we've asked people to do that. We reported that to you. I want you to know that we're trying to do the very best we can. Could I say that God's going to hold you accountable too in your personal finances and how you use the money God gives you? You'll have to answer for that. The church won't. The church will answer for what you give to the ministry here. And I think people that have made multi, themselves multimillionaires through the blood and the sweat of God's people have a lot to answer for. And all those people I mentioned earlier are multi-million dollar uh, people in, in God's church. Creflo is one of those on the lower end of those who have made millions. Uh, there's others who are absolutely um, filthy rich in God's kingdom. And we want to make sure, not that we're against people that have money, but how you get it is a big issue. Well, if I can find it, I think we'll go to Luke 22. I don't know about you, but I, I miss uh, the time that we have to hand things out and give you a little extra time to think during communion. Uh, this seems kind of un, un, unpersonal, impersonal. I can't wait for the day when we can uh, shed these masks and uh, shake hands and hug each other and be a church again. But until that day, we're going to do the best we can, <clears throat> the best we can and should do. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, does anybody need one of those that didn't get one, the little communion packet? Okay. All right. Uh, while I'm talking here, you might work to get that, that top started. That's a, that's a mess. And then we'll go from there. Reading from Luke 22:14. When the hour had come, he, that is Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Now, what I'd like to do is just uh, take some time, uh, let, let Becky play in the background for us, and then in a little bit, I'll have you open this, and we'll take the bread together. But I just want to let you have some time to talk to Jesus, thank him for what he's done, and anything else you want to take to him. Let's pray.